This is Wessler Media. Hi, my name's Guy Collins, and I am from London, England. I wasn't born in London, England. I was born in Marietta, Georgia. But no. You, sir, are a bold-faced liar. I am not a bold-faced It's true. It says you so. You have an English, you have an accent, and you're telling me you're from Georgia. You should have a southern accent. But we stayed in Georgia until I was five years old, and then my parents moved back to England. Obviously, they are English. And then I grew up in England, and I moved back to the States in 2001. I moved to Florida. Somebody taught me to juggle. My brother actually taught me to juggle. He's my younger brother, although he does look older than me. Um, he uh, taught me to juggle, and then I went traveling. I actually went hitchhiking throughout France. I quit my job as a travel agent and went with my friend and we decided we were going to hitchhike all around Europe. The Ohio State Fair and Westland Media are proud to present A Fair to Remember, discovering the stories and people behind the statewide tradition. And we pitched our tent and we were stood around juggling our three little balls and we could only just juggle. Then, I mean barely, just literally throw for about 10 throws and catches. I'm your host Vince Tornero and this is season two. And these German hippies saw us and they said, oh, you could make some money doing that. And we said, really? So today's episode of A Fair to Remember deals with the entertainment at the fair and the stories behind it. And Guy Collins, he heard at the open of the show, performs on the Main Street stage under the name Groovy Guy. And his career was launched through a serendipitous trip backpacking through Europe. And it only goes on from there. These German hippies saw us and they said, oh, you could make some money doing that. And we said, really? I said, yeah, come with us. And so they took us to the Paris Metro, the underground. And um, one of them was a very good guitarist. And one of them played trumpet. And the other, Jürgen, I think he was called Jürgen, was a very strange one. He was a very, he was, a, he was just a hippie, but he basically collected the money. Um, so I actually started off playing bongos and juggling three objects and the five of us would do this on the underground and I think we did it for about two weeks and we made enough money to survive. We went to the seaside, we went to a place called Canet Plage which is on the Mediterranean side of France and we lived on the beach but at that point the others left and I met this girl, Sophie Dufour was her name, uh, and fell in love with her. And we stayed, but I got taken under the wing of this Portuguese fire eater. And he basically showed me how to perform shows. So he was very, very good. He was very professional. He was a much older man. I think he was in his 40s, which seemed ancient to me at the time. Um, and he showed me how to perform for a good crowd, how to gather a crowd, how to present myself, and I got better very, very quickly because of him. When we were in with Frank in, um, there was a place called San Cyprian, which was a very exclusive little resort, and it was just me, him, and Sophie. And before I had, uh, you know, I'd been juggling, sort of just juggling, and people would throw money in. But when he taught me to actually perform a show, we went from eating sort of tin food from supermarkets to eating steak and chips at night with wine. And that was a real huge success. <laughs> you know, that was an, initially a huge success for me. Um, when was that? That was in 1987. 
Do you know if he's even still around? I've no idea if he's still around. He disappeared. Sophie and I went off to pick uh, grapes and live in a chicken shed together for a couple of months. Um, and he disappeared. He went his own way somewhere else. So I've no idea where he went. Probably back to Portugal or somewhere. But yeah, he was a lovely man. Well, it was lovely. I think, well, people were a lot freer then to do more what they said. I, what, I mean, the whole hitchhiking thing, I don't think people would do it anymore as much. But you were very safe. I mean, things were different back then. People were a lot freer to do things and a lot more relaxed in some ways. So that was nice. I mean, I do, I think it is unusual, the life that I've lived, but I don't think it's particularly wild. I mean... You know, lots of people have it. I was inspired by a book, um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe. And it was just a fascinating way to go. And, you know, because you could live really, really cheaply. You did little odd jobs and stuff. We did the juggling and travelled around and stuff like that. So it was, it was good. But the relationship with Sophie didn't last that long. No, she used to write to me on silver notepaper for about three years afterwards. And uh, I used to get really excited when the letters would come. Um, but I have no idea what happened to her now. No, no. No, I lost contact with her completely. Before I even went to circus school, I was with... Uh, Dave was my first juggling partner, but then I had a second one called John. Um, and he's actually become an agent um, in his later years. Um, but we used, to we used to do a lot of fire juggling. And what we used to do, because we worked on the street, we used to have a towel that we would shake the fuel from our fire torches on, and we used to just throw that into the the trunk and then do the fire juggling and uh, blow the fire torches out and then we put the things in there, uh, put the fire torches in the trunk and close and carry on with the show. Um, but once, we'd been doing this for a while, I think we'd probably been working together for about a year and so we did the fire routine and one of the fire torches hadn't gone out properly, it was still sparking and we threw it in the trunk and the whole trunk went up, it went like this and we couldn't put it out to the life of it and everything just burned and we just had to watch everything burn up in flames and it was awful. So you professionally started, you, had, you got professional schooling. I got professional schooling in 1990 but I did my first professional gig in 1988 um, as a jester in England and I had to wear tights and I was a 20 year old man and I really didn't want to wear the tights at all. <laughs> the great thing about street performing and even when you perform on, in Ohio at the State Fair, you start if you're working on the street, I'm, not, I'm actually on the stage this year, um, you start with nobody and then the crowd builds and you build the crowd so you, there's no expectation from anybody and you create that thing and it's a really wonderful feeling to build from nobody to a crowd of 200, 300 people. Right, I'll do a quick trick with my hands to start the show. Um, obviously this is a bonus trick, it's not even part of the show, watch carefully. So when you look at Guy on the Main Street stage and watch him perform like you just heard, yeah he's got quite a lot of stories. But I'm not sure any of those will top this one here when he got the biggest payoff of probably his career in one moment in Boston at Faneuil Hall. I got a call from a 
production company, a TV company. So this guy is telling me all of this. He says, well, we're going to do this stuff for the Travel Channel. Um, if you're in town, would you mind if we filmed you? And I said, no, no, of course not. You carry on ahead like this, thinking I'm never going to hear from this guy again. And if I'm there, I'm there. If I'm not, I'm not. I'd forgotten all about this guy. He'd phoned me up and said, because it was going to be in August, and I think he'd phoned me up in May. And I was actually in Burlington in Vermont. Oh, hi, this is this. And it was the guy from the D production company. He said, are you going to be in, um, are you going to be at Faneuil Hall tomorrow? And I went, oh, look, I'm really sorry, but um, I, I haven't booked any shows and I'm up in Vermont and it's going to take me a couple of hours. I just don't think. He said, well, you know, it'd be really good if you could come down there. Said, well, will you phone the office? And so I phoned the Faneuil Hall marketing office and this never, ever happens. But they said, oh, yeah, yeah, guy, um, you can have two o'clock tomorrow. Now, two o'clock at Faneuil Hall is prime time. So um, I travelled down there and I, said, I phoned up my friend. I said, can I stay with you the night before? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get there and I do my first show at two o'clock and you get, you get a two-hour time slot. And... Uh, do my show and it was a great show and you've got lots of people watching great reaction like this and a woman comes up with a clipboard after and said oh we're from the tv crew um that was great would you mind signing this release and i think oh yeah okay they're from the travel channel it's just background shots like this so i signed the release like this and off she went which was very nice um and did my second show and uh, then this magician came along and he said oh, i'm not going to do the next slot, do you mind, would you, do, would you like it? And I thought, oh, my dollar signs arrived in my eyes like this. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do the show as well. So I get his slot as well. And I've finished, the show is about to finish like this. And I'm on my big unicycle and I see Pendulette. Oh, look, I've got my plunger stuck on my head. It's so embarrassing. There are celebrities in the crowd. What am I going to do? So I finish it and do the thing jump off my unicycle and as I jump off my unicycle Pendulette strides over and he goes I'm Pendulette with the Travel Channel I got ten thousand dollars of all the acts we could find in Boston Groovy guy was the best We're watching you shooting you you're our favorite of all there's ten thousand dollars uh, they set me up basically I think so they'd filmed us all secretly and what they were doing it was a TV talent talent show it was a secret talent show it was called Street Cred and that was the pilot for it and I won obviously I won the $10,000 and then it got broadcast on the Travel Channel in 2000 and I think it was 2014 it got broadcast but it actually happened in 2013 so yeah so I got a $10,000 hat from Pendulette, which was awesomely good, yeah. Um, I think it's great to have done something that I wanted to do, um, something that I didn't even know that I could do uh, when I left school, I mean, because it was never an option. Um, and so I found it. And I think that's wonderful that you can do what you want to do and make a living from it and a good living from it as well and always to enjoy it. And I think if you stop enjoying it, that's when you need to, to stop. Um, and I think from here, I think as I get older, I'd like to teach other people maybe some stuff. I 
quite enjoy teaching now. I didn't as a younger person, but as you get older, you think, yeah, maybe I'll pass some skills on. But I don't want to stop performing yet. I see no reason to stop performing yet. I think I can carry on. So, yeah, and I think the show's getting better, or at least I hope the show's getting better. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll just keep going on until I can't do it anymore. Let's move from juggler to break dancers. They are street breaks, and they have quite the background in street cred. They have been employed by Chicago Bulls, Orlando Magic, Carnival Cruise Lines, the Globetrotter, Shakira, JLo, and they're really fun to talk to. So yeah, street breaks, break dancers, look out. Here we go. Let's hear their story now. My name is Alan Joey Pinedo Santiago. I'm 38 years old. I've been dancing for 25 years old. For 25 years, I was born in Puerto Rico, raised in Orlando, Florida. Charles Mason Jr., a.k.a. Mace Boogie, born in Okinawa, Japan, but I've been in Florida since 2000. That's it. What's your, what's that where you were born? Well, you're from. Oh, I said I've been in Florida since 2000. Yeah. Hey, come on, get off his back, boss. <laughs> Al Fuentes, and I'm the owner of uh, High Voltage Entertainment, and i um, the producer of Street Breaks, and I am from Gary, Indiana. Anything about breakdancing that people don't understand? Um, when I first started off, is that a lot of people didn't show it the same respect. You know, they didn't they didn't understand how difficult it is to do what we do. Now, you know, people are finally seeing that. Oh wow, it's you know, it is very difficult to spin on your head fifty times. It is very difficult to. You know, number one, there. You know, a lot of the gymnasts are flipping on spring floors. We're 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 flipping on concrete. You know what I mean? There's no forgiveness on concrete. It's it's a feeling, you know, inside. When you do, you know, like a dance is it's, it's an expression you kind of give out to the people, whether it's yourself on endurance, on on training, on practicing. But it's something that you know you you love from. From the beginning, when you're watching in the movies, it changed my life. It just took me out of the streets. It made me just love to dance more and just be an entertainer. You know, a lot of people think that we're just throwing ourselves all over with no type of creativity, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Like, certain songs will bring out certain movements out of you so you might hear one song and that might influence you to want to do all the crazy high-flying stuff and then you might hear another song and that will make you get more into grooving feeling the music and then showing the the, the main way to show who you are is by your dancing it's not just the big spectacular moves which you know in entertainment we give them the big spectacular moves because that's what they want to see behind all your talents your dancing your tumbling, your, your power moves, and you make it your own. And you make you, they go, oh, that's that's his style. That's how he does it. And, and the way you, if you put it all together and you do it really well, then you're like, they're like, oh, he's, you know, that's what makes you the best. For you, what, what was a moment or a time that your career choice was solidify that was got a, that check and say, hey i'm making money <laughs> that's for everybody but you know it's true yeah well I'm saying like okay we made it mom uh, the first moment i stepped onto a cruise ship like i had never been on any type of boat or ship before that and so me being like i said this this kid from navarre florida i was you know i was born in in okinawa japan but uh you know through the air force but uh, I started dancing when I moved to Florida in 2002, 
And, you know, like I said, a small town, no, like, hip-hop dancing or anything like that, but I was able to get out of there. So the first moment I stepped onto, you know, this large cruise ship, I'm just like, so this is my home for the next three months. Like, what in the heck is going on right now? When I was able to bring my parents on to cruise, um, you know, my parents, their wedding anniversary is Christmas Eve. So the first moment... I was able to bring them onto a cruise and because they had never seen me like really they like they saw the video of me when I won the talent show, but they had never seen me perform in person until I brought them on to the cruise. And so to see their reaction to me being up on stage and like fireworks going off and me doing all of my crazy moves like they're in the audience like eyes like wide open. Drive and teamwork totally come in threads in these men's journeys to the big time. Starting with Al, what he got was probably the biggest break of his life. Zero. <laughs> you truly had 0.00, like nothing. No money, no. I lived with my parents at that point. You know, I was just, you know, I was... You were probably trying to find me. I was trying to find my... You know, I, 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 I came out of high school. I, uh... I rushed into college because I didn't know what I wanted to do in college, but everybody was, so, you know, some of my friends were going to a certain college in Chicago, and I was like, you know, I'm, I don't want to be a loser and not do nothing, so I was like, well, I'm going to go, you know, apply for this college. So I went to college, I got a two-year associate's degree in computers and accounting, which I've never used in my life, uh, you know, but I went, you know, just because I was like, I got to do something, you know. And then, you know, through doing all these odd jobs of, you know, working at an oil exchange place, working, you know, uh, working at a sign place, you know, and just, you know, working from paycheck to paycheck, you know, and until, you know, I was presented with the opportunity of auditioning for the Bulls. Night before the auditions, like, I saw the auditions on a TV channel, like the news, and I was like, oh, I want to go audition for that. But I was never, you know, trained or nothing. I was just you know, um, a self-taught dancer, entertainer, you know what I mean? So, night before I was with my friends, you know, I'm like 19 or 20. We stay up all night, you know, and I wake up and it's like an hour or two before the audition and I have no car at that point, uh, you know, I had no money. And I go, I'm laying there and I'm like, man, should I go, should I not go, you know, I get up and I just push myself, I say, get up. And I told my dad, can you take me to Chicago? And I want to go to this audition. He, he said, yeah, he took me to the audition. I walked into this audition. There's like 400 performers warming up. You know, I got jugglers. I got guys on unicycles. And I'm like, you know, nothing but me. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, I, I was felt like I was really small. And, and, and like I was, you know, not, you know, that there were professionals there that had been doing this stuff for years. I was a young kid. A day or two later, I get a phone call, and they're like, you made it as one of the finalists. And I was like, I was like, holy crap, <laughs> you know? I was, I was like, you know, I didn't believe it. Went back, you know, for the the final audition against all the finalists that made it. And they ran you through all kinds of different, like, uh, you know, you know, group, you know, motivated, how you work with a team, you know, uh, all those kind of things. And after that, after you do all these different competitions, they would go away in the room and they talk and they, you know, they pick their finalists and all the like 50 or whatever that's left over, 
all there and they then they would they came back in with in all the 50 are in the room you know who were competing the finalists and they go okay we're now we're going to announce you know the four you know incredibles for this season and they named the first person second person and at that point i'm like man i'm you know i don't think i'm gonna make this thing then that was the third name they called and i was just like just amazing because i was like i was this little you know guy from the hood that you know um that went against all these professional entertainers and uh you know and they called my name and i was just like i can't believe you know that they saw something in me there's always doors in front of you right but you can't walk through that door unless you take the step to get through that door you can walk through that door and nothing made it happen right but if you walk through that door it may open other doors to other places and that's what it did for me that one that one decision of me waking up and going oh i'm gonna go led me to the chicago bulls led me to the company who hired me for the chicago bulls you know who took me to orlando and from there you know like i say there's there's always different times in your life where opportunity is going to present itself but you have to take the steps forward to make things happen if you don't do it you know nothing's going to happen people sit at home no oh you know what was me nothing's going to happen well you're not Nothing's ever going to happen if you don't take any steps to do anything, right? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that is the end of our show. We are street race. There's something so universally fun and exciting when you're standing around, you're walking around, and boom, you see it. One of your favorite costumed characters, a mascot. Whether you're at a Clippers game and you see Lucille, or you're at the fair and you see Butters decal, it is so fun to have that experience with your favorite character. And when you take those pictures... Do you ever think, what's the story behind this, and how did this all get started? Well, Adam Bonner is one of the guys behind the mascot organization. Three warehouses and over a thousand costumes. And all of this started with a chance encounter with a frog costume at a TV station. This kind of began... It's kind of weird, as I dig deeper into my religious and philosophical thing, I start to learn about desires that are in your heart, and I realize that... Uh, those things are kind of placed in there at birth, and uh, you don't realize them until sometime later, but uh, that's kind of, I guess, how this came about. Um, in high school was kind of the realization of it. Um, high school, I was a, uh, a video systems guy. I was doing video production and, and theater and things like that, and uh, um, this opportunity came about to be an intern for a TV station. It was WB53 at the time, which we now know as the CW. Um, but uh, they, they, they brought me in as an intern for Kids 53, you know, and I had pretty good amount of video production experience and theater experience, blah, blah, blah. So it made me a pretty good intern. Um, first day on the job, they had me working at the, the October Festival in uh, German Village. And they said, do you want to be the frog or do you want to hand out pencils? And I was like, um, frog sounds more fun. And what I didn't know, but I found out later, was that there had been somebody in the frog the day before, and they got tackled by kids and jumped on like a trampoline. And as a result, everyone was like freaked out about a brand new intern that's in high school, first day on the job, getting in that costume and having the same thing happen. And so everyone was like watching me like a hawk. They're like, we don't want to lose this one. He's brand new. He's too young to get. <laughs> so, um, but I, I, I did well with it. I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. I brought the character to life and realized that uh, there's definitely something here. I want to do this. 
The enjoyment for being the source of happiness for people through their favorite characters persisted in Adam since his first experience, and he says he's had countless memorable encounters throughout his time as a mascot, but there were a couple memories that stood out. Girl that showed up one night, and she's sitting on her dad's lap, so it's mommy. I think she had a sibling too, but it was, it was her, her mom, her dad. Her dad's on the cell phone just talking away, I think some business call or something, who knows. And so he's completely focused on that conversation, but his daughter's sitting on her lap. And so I come up to the table, they're out on the patio and we're, you know, do my typical, have a good time with them, have fun. And little girl just, you know, randomly puts out her pinky and she's like, pull my finger. And I'm like, really? And, and I was just like, okay, so I'll play along with this. So I pulled her finger and I made the noise with my mouth. And, and you know, cause Red had a habit of making noise. He couldn't speak, he would whistle and he would make, make sounds, but he wouldn't talk. And, um, and so uh, did that and the girl starts laughing and the mom starts laughing. I'm like, okay, they're, they're okay with this. I'm not gonna get in trouble. So they're, you know, they, they're okay with this. And so then I put my, my pinky finger out as the character and I had her pull that. And again, I made the same noise with my mouth. And, you know, and again, the mother starts laughing even harder because it's like we're playing back and forth and, and stuff. And so the, uh, the girl then does it again. I was like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, if manager sees this, somebody else sees this, it might not go well. So I think, okay, we'll just kind of let it tone down here. So I pulled her finger and I did not make the noise with my mouth, but there was a noise. And, and she looks at me with these big wide eyes and this giant smile. And she's like, that was for real. But then again, we had to do a, a character appearance at a daycare center in Sun, off of Sunbury Road. I remember right where it was. And uh, so we're there, Red's there doing, handing out coupons, whatever. And the, fam the little girl comes up again, pull my finger. And I'm like, it's her. <laughs> there was a lot of touching moments that happened. Um, you know, a kid with uh, a family came in after having just gone to the hospital and they were all wearing their hospital bracelets, if you will. And the family was celebrating like, you know, yay, we just, you know, we, they were so good. This, the, 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 the son was so good in the hospital today. And, you know, as a mascot, I'm like, you know, he looks fine to me, you know, you know, so I put my arms up and I'm like, you know, what happened? And dad took me aside away from the rest of the family and then told me about his uh, sister who wasn't with them, um, had some really rare disease and needed a bone marrow transplant to survive. Her brother was a perfect match for bone marrow. And so they were coming out to celebrate that. And that's, that's what ended up being the story. And I was like, wow. You know, I realized at that point, this, the, the gravity of the situation. I wrote on one of the kids' menus, mascots can't talk, but th they can write, <laughs> some of them. And so I grabbed a kid's menu and a crayon and I wrote, you know, if you need us to come visit when you do the transplant, let us know. And, um, and they said, oh, it's gonna happen in Cincinnati. And, uh, we're, um, and, and we're in Columbus. And I'm just like, I, I told him I, I, in the next note, I was like, we have stores in Cincinnati, we can send somebody from one of them, you know? And like, okay, so, you know, fast forward a few weeks, uh, we get a phone call. I looked at the manager at the time, I said, what do you, how do you wanna handle this? Should we call Cincinnati, whatever? And he's like, nope, let's get in the car, let's go. Okay. So we jumped in the car with costume and all and uh, went down to Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Um, we stopped along the way and bought like a couple giant teddy bears to take them. And we went in, um, we walked in the room and uh, as the character and with the guide and everything and the, the, the two of them just lit up like Christmas trees. They were, they, one came running from the bed, um, everything attached, giant hug. 
uh, to the character, just like nothing had ever happened. You know, like they'd just been through surgery, but it was not irrelevant to them. The other one who was suffering from this disease um, got up, smiled, obviously very run down from the, the illness, but um, was still excited to see us and gave us a hug. So then we fast forward a few years later, I'm having a bad night, I'm working there, and all of a sudden this, you know, this family comes in and sits down and they're eating and I'm playing with them like I normally did. And the father says, I don't know if you remember us or not, but we, you can't, you know, one of you guys came and visited us in the hospital in Cincinnati. And I looked at the two kids and I, I was like, you know, I was like, this is the family, this is them. And I again did the same shoulder shrug to the dad, which seemed to work the first time. And then he took me aside again and he said, perfectly fine. The, there's no indication of the, the illness. The bone marrow transplant was a success. The kid's perfectly normal. Everything's good again. And it was just like, you know, and you get to share that moment with that family and be a part of that and realize that there was some positive energy put into a very bad situation, that they, there was a glimmer of light in a, in a dark, in such a darkness. And you realize that that's, that's what our places in this world to be characters, to, to be that light, to be that entertainment, to be the happiness, to be that joy. Welcome to the Show Me Safari Petting Zoo. So animals in costumes, they're not the only ones horsing around at the fair. You've got the Kittyland area. There, you're gonna hear ponies, bleeding of goats, happy squeals of pigs, and the gentle clanking of camel hooves. This is because Jay Phillips is the guy behind all this. He and his family, they set up temporary homes for these animals away from their cozy Missouri barn here at the Ohio State Fair. Now they allow people and you to get safely up close and personal with these animals at their petting zoo. You can watch pig races and even check out some camel rides and pony rides too. So in the summertime, I'd always travel with our family with the petting zoos and we got to go to Hawaii one year to take all of our animals to Hawaii to the 50th State Fair in Honolulu. Uh, that was a that's a that was a pretty big jump, you know, from leaving the mainland going to an island, and uh, we would load our animals up on the trailers and drive to Long Beach, California, and catch a ship out there, and it would take us five days and six nights to go across the Pacific Ocean to get to Honolulu, and uh, once we was there, we was there for two months straight, and then uh, it was that that was different. I was 14 years old, and uh, when we went over for the first time, we went over for 10 years in a row in a row and uh, it, it was an experience I never forget. On, on, on the ship, you got to have one person to take care of the animals. So from you, from leaving uh, California, going to the, to the island, they would carry hogs over from the from, uh, United States or from the, uh, the mainland. So there was like four semi loads of hogs and then we had our animals on there, but there's only one person that could ride the ship and take care of it all. So since we had exotic animals and they said, well, you know, anybody can't take care of your animals, y'all can, so you have to take care of these hogs on the way over there. So uh, the first year I got to ride the ship over there and uh, I was taking care of all these hogs on this semi-trailer plus our animals and it, and it was a, that was a sloppy job, I tell you. When pigs are on a trailer for, for a week, it gets pretty sloppy. And, but uh, so I, I'd have to take a fire hose and I'd have to wash the deck down three times a day, you know, where the, the mess would come out of the, the pig trailers. <laughs> And everything, and uh, it was it was an experience I never forget. That's for sure. But uh, but uh, and and on the way back, they would carry cattle from from Hawaii to to back to California, and uh, 
they weren't quite as messy as the pigs were. But but I love pigs. I mean, pigs they slop. You know, that's that's I have racing pigs, so uh, you know I have to love them. Whenever I started out my own business, you know, my dad had my grandpa and my dad, and then I started my own. Uh, my dad he didn't give me a business. He said you have to work for it, and uh, so. Uh, when I worked for him for quite a few years, and he said, look, son, you're old enough now. You're going to have to go out, and uh, you're either going to have to buy this or start your own. And uh, I said, well, I'll buy a part of your business here. He said, well, you know, he'd give me amount dollars he wanted, and uh, I had to go to the bank. And been blessed and had a lot of good affairs we do and uh, been doing them for years. And uh, that, was, that was one of the... Uh, I guess I'm never over that hump. You're always going to have bills you have to pay and take care of, but it's, it's been a little easier now that uh, older I get. Now, if you're doing a lot of traveling, you're bound to meet a lot of people, and Jay says that one of the best parts about doing all this traveling is the people you meet along the way, the old friends, the new friends, and some new faces you see from place to place. Celebrities, yeah, he's met them too, and you may have heard one of the big names that he's also met. You just never know who you meet. We was in a fair... I, not talking about LeBron James, but a country singer, Luke Bryan. Uh, we was in a fair in Muskegon, Michigan. This was when Luke Bryan just first come out. He had already had one or two number one songs. And he come up, he said, hey, man, I just saw your pig race. I shook my hand. He said, uh, we'd like to shoot your pig race, put it in our video, and uh, use one of your pigs. I said, well, that's 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 fine. I said, shake my little kids. My girls were uh, two-year-old, uh, Molly and Cammie. And I said, shake their hand, and you got a deal. So Luke Ryan, he said, okay, man. He shook their hand, and uh, they come. We did a pig race, and they filmed it. He said, I tell you what, can I take one of your pigs with us? I said, yeah. I said, uh, here's a pet taxi. Put him in the, put the pig in the pet taxi, and they took off with the wheelbarrow with the pig in the pet taxi. And the uh, next thing I know, he come back uh, He come back later that day. He said, man, he said, that, that, the pig's name, by the way, was Squilly Nelson. So uh, that says it all. So he said, man, I took this pig with me. I took him on my bus, and we shot video, and uh, and uh, it turned out to be a great video. And uh, it was Country Boy uh, by Luke Bryan. So you need to look that one up, and pig races are in it, and, and Squilla Nelson. Now, of course, doing something like this is a lot of fun. There's a lot of family history, but this is definitely a lot of work with a lot of long hours. It's hard work and dedication, but Jay says he would not have it any other way. So it's not just show up. Uh, the day before the fair and pop everything up and push a button and you're ready to go. It takes a week ahead of time for us to get everything ready to even be presentable at the fair. But why not do something else? I mean, you you, you could you could do anything, and, and, and you've chosen to continue what you know, your grandfather did, what your father did. Now you're doing, hopefully, your son and your family takes over this. But why, why do it? Well, you know, I believe it's just in my heart and my blood, and uh, we love animals. And uh, my 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 four-year-old son, my eight-year-old son, and my two ten-year-old uh, daughters, uh, this they love animals and they love this. This is what they've known all their life so far, and this is what they want to do. So I'm doing the best I can do to help pass this on to them to keep it going. A Fair to Remember, presented by the Ohio State Fair, and produced, edited, sound designed by Westler Media. Executive producer and PR manager is Alicia Schultz. Additional script writing and editing by Becca Kerr. Every episode expertly mastered by Joey Gerwin at Orange Judio. Special thanks to all of our guests and anyone who did anything at all to make this podcast a reality. And thank you for attending the fair year after year and upholding this wonderful and fun tradition. Last and of course not least, got to mention my wife, Melina, 
who listened patiently to various rewrites, versions, and edits of all of these episodes. I love you. And I'm your host, Vince Tornero. This has been A Fair to Remember. I'll see you on the Midway. The fun, the draw, the excitement of a fair, that should be enjoyed by everybody. And this year, the Ohio State Fair, it's going to be more accessible and inclusive of individuals with disabilities. Now, this is in partnership with Opportunities for Ohioans with Disabilities. Complimentary wheelchair mobility charging stations, they will be available throughout the grounds and are listed on the fair maps. And these fair maps, they can be picked up at the fair guest information services booths. Second, fairgoers who are blind or low vision, they can use this technology called IRA. This is really amazing stuff. Now, IRA, it's going to connect to an agent who can help you with navigation. In collaboration with Ocali, a sensory-friendly morning is going to take place July 31st, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. throughout the fair. The lights and the music on all the rides are going to be turned off, and fairgoers can enjoy the many educational activities, including those in the Oasis at the fair. That is the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Park. Now, if you want more information on all this and all this great stuff about making the fair more accessible, you can find it by emailing info at expo.ohio.gov. That's info at expo.ohio.gov. Or you can plan to stop by a guest information services booth during the fair. The good one is, um, one of the good ones is, you know, I'm, I'm coming to work to a game or whatever and you know it's kind of funny because our locker room was not that big it was a little bit bigger than this room because there were only four of us so our doors closed and i'm like well why is our door closed so i opened the door and i look in and sitting down right there is scotty pippen and horace grant and they're sitting down there in your locker room in my locker room sitting down on the couches and they got they're eating kentucky fried chicken and they go, they go, I go, I go, oh, they're like, no, come on in, come on in. I go in, he goes, they go, close the door, close the door. So I close the door. And they're like, you're good. They're like, they're like, we just can't let Coach see us eating this, this chicken before the game. <laughs> so this is hilarious, you know. How'd that make you feel? That's got to be crazy. Well, I mean, I, I was like, once again, I'm standing there. I'm like, you know, this kind of a, just a very, you know, odd situation. Yeah, it's surreal. I'm like, are they really eating Kentucky Fried Chicken in my house? Scotty Pippen was going to try to, hey, don't tell Coach we're eating chicken. And they're hiding from Phil Jackson. <laughs> the production you just heard was carefully crafted at the studios of Wessler Media. For more powerfully engaging podcasts and other audio content, visit wesslermedia.com. Stories of overcoming adversity, intense and unexpected twists and turns, education, encouragement, and plenty of those, did you hear that, moments. Hear more and talk to us about creating your own podcast, from large and detailed projects to smaller, more personal-sized productions. That's wesslermedia.com. W-E-S-S-L-E-R-media.com.